And, you know, I get feedback like, oh, you're such a clear communicator and you're a great presenter and you're so confident. And it's like people just think, oh, you were born this way. And they're so surprised when I say, I can tell you the moment, the moment I realized this was a skill set that you could learn and I learned it. And as soon as I realized it worked, I doubled down. Oh, I went so hard on developing these skills because I could see the light at the end of my lacking confidence, you know, um, communication, verbal diarrhea tunnel. Hello, my friends, and welcome to or welcome back to Connect with Confidence. I'm Kerry Phipps, and I'm so excited to be introducing you to my new friend, Annalie Blundell, who connected with me on, we, we just connected. We had an amazing little chat behind the scenes when Annalie was sharing on the APSS, Asia Professional Speakers Singapore monthly meeting. And we were both, it's like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, our time, and um yeah, we just had a beautiful connection. So I said, hey, can we chat on the podcast? So welcome, Annalie. Thank you very much, Kerry. I am super delighted to be here. So thank you for talking to this stranger because, you know, I've heard you present. Uh, you haven't really heard as much from me, but uh, that's okay. I would love to hear your story and just connect you with my listeners because I know that you're speaking about critical conversations and my theme this year that I've talked about on the podcast a bit has been about having meaningful conversations, which I've always been about, but really this year is even more opening up, I guess, to being in the discomfort of an, you know, possibly awkward conversation, not knowing where something's going to go. And that can be so valuable just to be curious. And that's what you brought to the Asia Professional Speakers meeting was like this curiosity, what can we create together as we share our stories and our thoughts and our ideas and our feelings. So um, do you want to just give us a little introduction to you? How did you come to be in our world? Yeah, well, I just want to backtrack a little and, and pick up on, on our introduction story because I love it so much. Firstly, anyone who writes a book, do talk to strangers, I want to meet because I am 100% behind that ethos. You know, I'm, I'm known as the people whisperer, so I'm all about connection and communication. Uh, and I really value the impact we can have in the world when we're able to connect and communicate clearly with those around us. So, you know, I, I as soon as I saw that that was the book you had written, I thought, yes, this is this is my woman. I am very happy to be on this podcast. I reckon we could probably record seven hours without even trying. And, you know, just the fact that this is your year of meaningful conversation and connection, I thought, how interesting that the session I was running, so so here's the context, listeners, dear listeners. The context is, you know, I was invited as a professional speaker to present at the Professional Speakers Association um, in Singapore, and it was a CSP roundtable event. So CSPs in the speaking world are certified speaking professionals. Can I just toot my own horn here? These are the big wigs of the speaking yeah. circuit. Um, i.e., you know, there's only 150 in Australia, only 50 women in Australia. Like it's a it's a it's a big deal. Um, and it's it speaks to a level of credentialing and professionalism and um, impact in your work. So I was chuffed to be invited to be one of the CSPs running this roundtable event. So, you know, they had four of us, you know, running a session at once, and we got a one-minute pitch around, you know, come to my session. This is what I'll be talking about for 30 minutes. 
So we've got, I don't know, 100 people on the line and we do our pitch um, and then all the participants get to choose what room they want to be a part of. And so I thought, all right, Annalie, you're all about connection. Your, you know, theme this year is around um, creating space. So space for connection, space for, for people to speak into and think into and feel into. You know, I also run a lot of coaching skills uh, training programs. So not only am I an executive coach and a keynote speaker and an author, yada, yada, uh, but I also teach leaders how to do coaching skills. And so with that comes the ability to hold the space for somebody, you know, to really listen and um, so I thought, all right, I want to do something a little different. So I pitched the session as speaker as listener. Now you got to think about this, Kerry. I know you're on the line and you send me a gorgeous little comment in the chat saying, this is very brave. What a courageous topic. <laughs> do you understand the people in the room here, right? These are people literally who have for years been honing their craft on how to be good communicators, tell a compelling story, you know, how to have amazing craft when it comes to communication and impact. And what I'm saying is to push ourselves to the next level, how about we change our whole ethos and move out of the role of speaker and into the role of listener and hand the power of the speaking over to the audience and to create our content through connection and dialogue with the audience rather than the content we choose to deliver. So I thought, all right, Annalie, here we go. This is pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. I challenge you to run a session without preparing any content. Ah, that's what I did. So I prepared a session, no content. And now, of course, I had a structure. I had 30 minutes. I had a basic idea about what, how I wanted it to go. It was a quick introduction as to why we're doing what we're about to do, which was an experiment, and then a quick wrap-up with themes and what we learned. But essentially, I've got this group of people in the room, professional keynote speakers, and said, hey, everyone, thanks for joining me on this experiment around speakers as listeners. We're focusing on connection and co-creation of content. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the room, Kerry. What was your experience of that? Uh, I loved it because it was just that, you know, like, just take my hand and jump out with me. You know, let's just take a dive into this creative exploration. And it was so interesting because, you know, speakers have always got something to say, but we all wanted to hear from one another. And so our contributions were, were succinct and, and generous and supportive, not only of, of you who was creating this space for us and, you know, publicly throwing yourself out of the comfort zone, but um, but to each other, and uh, yeah, it was it was beautiful. And yeah, like I was texting you, yay, go you! This is amazing because you know, and it, and it could really upset some people. And this is what happens sometimes when we want to take a brave step. Some people might be offended or might be. Um, I mean, we have a very generous community, but sometimes people don't want to be put in the spotlight or. Um, you know, stretched out of the comfort zone. But when we turn up to a professional development meeting, yes, stretch us out of our comfort zone, mm. challenge our thinking. And, you know, some people might be very structured and have every word and every gesture polished and, and maybe that's perfect for some scenarios. But in other places, and especially the times we're living in, I think we need to just look at our audience and love them and connect with them and you know, depending on the size of the audience, like how do we do that? But it was just 
beautiful to explore that. So, um, yeah, I just loved your courage. And I went, I have to connect with her. She's got to get on my podcast. <laughs> so should we just go back like even further? Yes. And tell us, you know, what are some of the, um, you know, maybe childhood or adolescent or young adult um, moments of connection with people that have become part of your story or who pushed you forward or into the work that you're doing now? What are some of those pivotal moments? Well, for me, I've always been a keen observer of, you know, the human condition. I've been a people watcher for as long as I can remember. I've bought books on human behavior and communication for as long as I can remember from, from the age of 15, you know, I'm reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and, you know, Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy and all these, you know, mind-blowing things to a 15-year-old. This is like mid-high school. And, um, you know, I get into my uh, early corporate world and I think, okay, I want something else. I don't want to, I come from the banking background. That's all, that's a nice training ground for how to be in the corporate space. But really, I mean, I wasn't jazzed about banking. Let's face it, I'm interested in people. So I, I met a coach and she told me what she did and how she trained to become a coach. And I said, are, are you sure that's a real job? Like, are you sure it's not pom-poms and rah-rah? Like, you can do it, girl. And she said, no, no, this is a legit, you know, this is really, this is a big deal. And, um, and when she told me about the things that she was learning and what she was reading and the content, I thought, I have half of those books on my shelf already. Are you telling me my whole bookshelf could have been a tax write-off for like 10 years already? Anyway, so, you know, I, I, I move into the space of coaching. So 15 years ago, I started my own coaching and consulting practice and I, you know, came out of the corporate space. I am now officially unhirable. I cannot work for anybody else. I just, I can't imagine not running my own show. I know, I know we're all, you know, corporate refugees and <laughs> unhirable. Um, luckily, I love what I do. So, you know, I started in that coaching space. And for me, I realized that this was my happy place because I am a great observer of people and human behavior. And I'm really curious super curious as to I wonder why that person did that like someone is is melting down over that incident another person is laughing over that incident why you go to a funeral and people are crying and some people are laughing why like isn't this curious what is going on and and the more curious I became uh you know the more I researched the more I learned so I am hello Carrie my name is Annalie I am a recovering learnerholic who has not recovered <laughs> very well at all so if I were to you know, categorize my journey and who I am. I am a lifelong obsessive learner. So, and that of course fit me beautifully. So I, you know, I enroll in this coaching program and now I'm coaching executives and, and they now want me to work with their leadership teams. So now I'm doing communication team workshops, team building workshops. And now they're saying, oh, can you roll out a leadership development program to our organization? You know how these things build, yep. you know, I'm on stages delivering keynotes and now I'm writing books and, you know, here we are. Um, so my expertise really refined to this connection piece around how do we influence, engage and impact one another. Um, and that's through communication programs, you know, clear communication programs, how to speak in meetings, how to speak, you know, on track, on time, on purpose, every time um, critical conversations, how do you have the hard conversations, how do you have coaching conversations. Um, and a, a piece around gender conversation. So I help men and women come together and have the meaningful conversations that are going to shift that gender dynamic. So that's a sort of separate piece. 
But for me, it has really stemmed from just being curious about humans and what a wonderful topic to be obsessed about. I can't get away from them. They're everywhere. (laughs) Humans are awesome. Um, I I love that. I relate to so much of your journey. And, but one thing that's, I guess, a little different for me is that somehow my curiosity must have been squelched out of me through school and, um, you know, probably a lot of years that were really challenging, but coaching ignited my curiosity Mm. when I realized that no two brains are alike, that it was in my first couple of days of training when we were face-to-face training and I'm sitting with somebody and he's sharing just all the things that make up his world, you know, just to do that initial, like, you know, what's going on for you? What do you want to focus on? And um, he made a a comment. It was something that he wanted to focus on that I I kind of laughed. It was just unexpected, right? (laughs) Yeah. And and then he's like, well, you know, when you get older, and he started justifying. And I was just, it just really struck me like, oh, no, like, I I wasn't a safe space for him in that moment. I wasn't just, you know, sort of in neutral, just going, okay, yep, and just writing it down. I I had an emotional response to it that was completely inappropriate. Like, it was just a little chuckle. And, And I guess in a normal conversation, nobody would even notice. But in that moment, I realized, oh, I've got this filter that is like this young person filter, not understanding this older person. And that was a pivotal moment for me to hear anything that anyone shared without reacting, you know, with with just appreciating them sharing with me whatever it is that they shared and and to be curious about that rather than having any sense of judgment. And, uh, you know, sometimes those learnings come slowly, but that was just such a, sort of a smack in the face, wake up, you know, like a cold water over my head, like, oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think my curiosity really developed so much more from there. And and travelling, I think travelling really increases your curiosity and, and seeing things that are different and just wondering why and having no judgment or assumptions about those things, but just being curious. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And so I wonder... The other thing that I saw, you know, you'd come across as so beautifully confident, and I'm not sure if that's always been your journey, you can share that with us. But I know that curiosity helps the nervousness just disappear. You know, if you're curious about the people that you're talking to or the situation you're walking into, then that curiosity overtakes the, oh my gosh, do I look okay? Do I sound okay? Am I going to do this okay? Um, We're just focused outside ourselves and can actually be really present with people. So tell me about your journey of, you know, confidence building. Has it been some ups and downs or? Well, it is. It, it's funny you should say that because I was just thinking, you know, my curiosity around coaching, particularly starting when you start developing coaching skills, it's like you develop this third eye, isn't it? Yeah. You really start seeing things differently. You can't, you can't just be in the conversation. You're always on the wall somewhere looking as an observer, you know, um, and replaying what happened and kind of trying to take first position, second position in the outside perspective and, and that kind of stuff. And I, fu- I found that as, uh, as a coach and because, and you know, I am a recovering learnaholic, not recovered very well at all. So I am my best client and I've always maintained that 
you know, the, the more coaching you've done, the more personal development you do, the cleaner and clearer you are as a vessel. And yeah. so the more effective you are as a coach, a facilitator, a trainer, you're more able to see stuff because you've cleared up your own stuff, you know. So, um, you know, it's the whole metaphor of, you know, you look out the window and if your window's covered in dirt, you can't see very clearly. So you've got to clean your own stuff first. So you've got this nice, clear and clean perspective. So, you know, I, I, I loved all the things that I've learned about human behavior and I've been doing this, you know, I've followed people around the world. I've done trainings in Canada and Belgium and Tuscany and to, to follow gurus around how do I take my expertise to the next level around uh, whether it's language and behavior profiling, decoding unconscious communication patterns or, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I, I noticed that the more I understand about people, the more I'm able to understand about me, the more the better connection I can have with other people because I know what's my stuff and what's their stuff. And you're right, that magical moment where you go, I really expected the client to say this because why wouldn't you, you know, everybody says this and they said something totally out of left field. And that's when you have that reminder, everybody's so different. We cannot even make a scary of an assumption. You know, we're always testing hypotheses and hypotheses and um <laughs> and when, you know when you ask about the confidence piece I, I get asked that a lot right so I run one of the sessions that I, I run a lot is around credible communication how to make your value visible so this is being a clear and confident communicator um how to be seen as the authority in the room you know really wanting people to take you seriously and you know I get feedback like oh you're such a clear communicator and you're a great presenter and you're so confident and it's like people just think oh you were born this way and they're so surprised when I say, I can tell you the moment, the moment I realized this was a skill set that you could learn and I learned it. And as soon as I realized it worked, I doubled down. Oh, I went so hard on developing these skills because I could see the light at the end of my lacking confidence, you know, um, communication, verbal diarrhea tunnel. <laughs> and, um, and it was it was literally the tips and tricks that I now share with the audiences so they can see immediate changes and they know that is not just confidence is not just something you sit on the couch and you wait for and you hope for and you think is coming your way. I say confidence is like fitness. If you want to get fit and you're not fit, you don't sit on the couch and cross your fingers and hope fitness shows up. You get off the couch and you go couch to 5Ks and you run from one lamppost to another and it feels like hell and it's torturous. But the act of getting fit makes you fit. You know, acting without being fit makes you fit. And confidence works the same. You have to act without confidence in order to build the confidence. And just by breaking down to some small actionable steps that people can take, it feeds into their evidence loop where they go, oh, if I just drop my tone in the first 30 seconds of talking with someone, I will get more influence. I call this the difference between your personal voice and your professional voice. Your, your personal voice sounds like this. Oh my God, Carrie, it's so great to see you. I had such a good trip with Bali, yada, yada, yada. Oh my God, your hair looks amazing, yada, yada, yada. High pitch personal voice. I don't speak like that when I'm addressing people. I don't speak like that in the boardroom. In the boardroom, my professional voice comes out. So I say, hi. My name is Annalie. It's really nice to be with you today. Same voice, same friendly me. You know, I'm not speaking like someone you don't recognize, but it's my professional octave. <laughs> and it's a simple, simple trick and anyone can do it. Um, but once you start, 
you start building that evidence loop that you can just do it. Oh, exactly. It's like when you take a step, you do something, then you look back and you go, oh, I did that. Builds the confidence. Then you go, oh, I can do another. I can take another step. I can do that, you know, thing that felt a bit scary. Yeah, in, in Do Talk with Strangers, I have, you know, start small, start with a smile and scare yourself a little bit. That's all under the S in the asking model. <laughs> it's like oh. I have to put a few in there. Um, but scare yourself a little bit because sometimes I think, you know, I mean, comparison is the thief of joy. And if we look at some big, bold move that somebody else is taking and we're like, oh, I couldn't do that, um, then maybe we can't do that. But what, what is it that you want to do that you think, oh, it would be really cool if I could just, you know, maybe it's just talking to the neighbours. Maybe it's just complimenting somebody on their front lawn and the effort that they put in. or You know, the response that you get from people, you're like, oh, this is cool. I like that I can connect with people and just comment on the coffee or something and our relationships grow and our confidence to connect grows. So I think whatever it is, you just make a start. Yeah, get off the couch. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love what you're saying so much. I love this idea of, of start small, but particularly start small that, that we know, you know, from neuroscience, that is how you achieve the goal. How do you eat an elephant? One, you know, small bites at a time. Who's eating an elephant? Who came up with that analogy? I don't know. But in, in any case, we want to start small to make big progress. And I especially love this scare yourself a little bit because, you know, sometimes part of the things I talk about with people when it comes to building rapport, building connections, creating likability in the workplace, you know, we know the impact of um, social connections in the workplace, right? So I talk about things like, or my example for scaring yourself a little bit would be to encourage people to give feedback upwards you know, because giving compliments and affirming value of, you know, affirming value in people around us is such a beautiful way to build connections um, and social engagement and all that kind of stuff. And we rarely do it upwards. And I tell you, you know this, the higher up you go in the organisation, the less feedback people get and definitely the less positive feedback they get. And, you know, half of this is because you're my boss you're the one who rates me, you know, who am I to give you feedback and say, good job, you know, uh, Francine, well done on running that meeting. <laughs> like, who am I to tell you that? However, how impactful is it? If you say to Francine, my boss, who's been doing this 20 years, gosh, you did a good job in that meeting. I can learn so much from you. I was just blown away by your skill. Amazing. Imagine how good Francine feels. Amazing. Um, this is another one of those moments where I just feel like we're twins. Um, <laughs> you're my sister from another nester, as one of my friends would say, because I have this whole section in the book called Leaders Need Encouragement Too. <laughs> we think, we, we look at somebody doing something that they maybe have more experience with than us and we, we go, oh, they're so good at that. But we're thinking about how we'd like to be better. But if we can acknowledge them, we don't know how much effort they've put in and how tired they are right now. And the thing that really um, sparked this for me was remembering the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne years ago, years and years ago. But as I was reflecting on cheering people on, because I've signed off on my emails, cheering you on since I've been doing emails for like nearly 20 years. And it was Karen McCann running in the marathon and she runs into the stadium at the end of the marathon and she's neck and neck with a Kenyan runner and the crowd just goes wild, you know, like everybody has been in the stadium probably watching 
and back in the day, I don't know how much technology there was, you know, to support viewers to watch the whole race. But as they run into the stadium and everyone just stood to their feet, there was like this roar of the crowd. I'm watching on a tiny television like you did back in the day. And I was like so in the moment, like just cheering her on. And it's neck and neck. And then she got ahead and she won the race and then collapsed on the ground as, you know, they all do. Um, no judgment at all. I've done a marathon. <laughs> You've just given your absolute all. But as she was, as she was interviewed minutes later, she said that the roar of the crowd literally lifted her and carried her across the finish line. And we can just look at somebody going across the finish line or coming near the finish line and just be like, yeah, oh, that, they're amazing. But we don't know how much they're encouraged. Our encouragement can lift them and carry them across. And, you know, we've probably heard this expression, people quit before the breakthrough. So many people quit just before the breakthrough. And, you know, small businesses, I don't know what the stats are these days, but when I started my business in 2004, it was like seven years. Business, small businesses last kind of seven years. And, you know, seven years, it might be really hard. And I thought, you know, I can see how people quit just before the breakthrough. You know, it's like time to keep going when you feel most like I can't do this anymore. Mm. And um, and I've also got this like little burnout alert in my head right now. So I'm not saying just <laughs> keep, just keep pushing through, but you know, get the resources, the help that you need. And, and I think this is something else that I've learned is actually asking for encouragement and saying, Annalie, I am like right at the point of doing something incredible here but I'm just feeling slightly terrified or exhausted or whatever just to reach out and say to somebody like you know I'm in need of encouragement now you might know me as the encourager but like it's like help <laughs> so I think you know that's they're all things that I want to encourage our listeners to be aware of mm. and yeah. when I think about you know the power of that I love that story and the power of the crowd yeah, uh, because it also speaks to the impact we have as humans on one another. So, uh, you know, and I'm bringing bringing this down back to the situation we find ourselves in now, thanks to the pandemic. You know, we've gone from face to face, you know, body to body interaction in the workplace, and we're used to picking up the cues, and you know, we get the whole picture. And now we're doing so much more online. So what's the impact of not having the human in the room, you know, not having the energy that comes from that? Mm. And I think about this idea of emotional contagion, you know, which you, you're probably aware of, or, you know, our moods, our attitudes, our emotions are contagious. And so if you think about it, the story I always like to tell is, you know, if you walk into a room and two people have been fighting, but you get in there and they're not saying a word, so you can't tell they've been fighting, but you can feel it. You walk into that cloud, you know, like you walk straight into it, the hair on the back of your neck goes up and you look from one to the other going, what's going on here? Because you can just tell, you can feel it. So we know when people are nervous on stage, their blood pressure goes up, the blood pressure of the audience goes up because we are feeling into the experience of the people around us. Um, you know, and, and that, that runner, she was buoyed by imagine thousands of people in that you know, auditorium, literally giving her that energy, incredible energy transference. And so I, you know, I often reflect, I had been reflecting on the last couple of years of the impact of not being physically in the room together and how that may be diminishing um, how we are supporting one another and not just verbally, but just by being in the room, you know, being in the shared space with people and 
This is why we're so desperate for connection. Like, I don't know about you, but when I transferred, you know, my face-to-face trainings to online trainings, which we all did, um, I had to factor in so much more time for connection. Mm-hmm. You know, what might have been a five-minute group conversation turned into 25 minutes because people just needed to connect because the connection we had just didn't feel the same. It wasn't what it was in real life. Mm, absolutely. And I think, yeah, so this brings me back to the, you know, sometimes we need to tell people like, hey, I need some encouragement because how do we know where everyone is? Mm. And we need to, something I've been talking about this year is, you know, not just being a safe place for other people because we want to be that, but to, you know, find and create safe places for ourselves. And we can check in with people. How are you going? How are you going? But also if no one's checking in with us, find a friend you trust. Yeah. Even if it's finding a, getting a helpline and just going, I just need, I just need to talk some things through. Mm. I just need to remind myself that I'm doing okay and that this is a really challenging time. So I've got a question for you. I'm curious about, you know, you're all about connection. I'm about connection. You know, you're thinking about meaning, meaningful conversations and connections. Given the times that we live in and how a lot of it is online, we are online right now. I'm wondering what's your experience, your observations or insights, hypothesis around people not putting cameras on Mm. online conversations and forums. Does that matter for the depth and the meaning? When does it matter? What are your thoughts? (laughs) This is is a very good conversation because everybody's got a different response to this. And I I know that (laughs) they're sitting in their car right now or going for a run or a walk or sitting on the lounge and just hearing this like, Oh, there's opinions. Um, Sometimes we just don't feel like, you know, I know for myself, the times when I've least wanted to have my camera on has been the Asia Professional Singapore meetings because everybody's on at 8 p.m. their time and they've just finished dinner and they're so excited to be connecting with everyone. It's 10 p.m. for me. And in summer with daylight savings, it's 11 p.m. to start. Wow. So I would, you know, get on the call um, you know, I've got my cup of tea and I've got some chocolate and sometimes my husband's got me a little platter with like cheese and berries and everything. <laughs> and I'll be messaging Kathy Johnson, like, got the wine and cheese? You know, and I, I might fade within half an hour. I'm like, oh, I don't want to turn my camera on again. I just, <laughs> I just... So yeah. I think the important thing to remember is that everybody's in a different place and, you know, it might be your only Zoom meeting and, of course, our professional speaking community is so much fun and there's like so many gorgeous people. Uh, you know, some have got their beautifully lit studios and, and some of us might be, you know, just like I need to sit on the lounge for this one so I've got my phone and, um, and I don't want to hold the camera up the whole time. Like there's just all the different things. But some people might literally have been in Zoom meetings all day, mm. the conferences, they might have been presenting all day and just go, I just need some time out. So I think this is where we need to, you know, if you're working with the same people, Maybe it's noticing things over time, like there's less and less engagement from this person. Mm. Maybe we just need to make time for, you know, a phone call, walk and talk or, you know, a a wine and cheese conversation where we might bring that to our call and uh, and have a conversation about like, you know, we put the video on just for a little while, but um, let's just lie the camera down so it can look at the ceiling or whatever because we're going to charge it. So it's, it's easy to hide in some ways and so I think we need to sort of be vigilant and looking out for each other um, but we need to be honest with ourselves you know we can we can want people to be 
honest with us and you know we can want to have great conversations with people but we're going to have the great honest conversations with ourselves we're going to listen to ourselves you know listen to our gut what is going on inside me that has me just constantly wanting to have the camera off yeah you know disengaging and you yeah you need to know you're not the only one who might be feeling like that that's so interesting isn't it because and I really love that so you're taking it back to yourself first to to be really aligned with your own values and you know to notice your own energy levels and what do you need right now as a professional to be in this space you know you've chosen to be here or you're expected to be here and what do you need right now to show up to the best possible um, outcome and that may not be having the camera on and and I, I I wonder how many people are actually asking themselves that I would suggest not many people and if you do ask yourself that and you decide like you know yours is a good example 11 30 at night you're doing professional development you know you're choosing to be there mm-hmm. um, then I would also suggest that particularly if it's a work context, that if you do make the decision that you want to have the camera off for whatever reason that it's shared, you know, I often talk about signposting. So we have this assumption that people can read our minds. So, you know, I leave the the meeting early and I just assume everyone knows it's because I'm picking up the dog from the vet or whatever, right? I just assume. So rather than assume and in the absence of any actual information, you know, People will make up their own stories and they generally do not make up one that is flattering for you. So Correct. <laughs> if you want to control the narrative, it's best that you signpost your intentions and your thinking. And I think also what happens is, let's say, for example, you want to turn your camera off as a person who doesn't have their camera off and decides to have it on. It's nice to hear why people have got it off. So, hey, gang, I'm just eating dinner. Yeah. yeah, turning my camera off because you don't need to see me slurping soup, whatever. Um, it's late here. I'm feeling, you know, I'm fading. I'm going to turn my camera off. And people go, sure, no worries. It's the sense of actually, oh, this is good, Kerry. I like this. I really like this. For me, as I'm talking, I'm now thinking it's about the story the other people are telling themselves about why you've got the camera off. And so if you care about the potential story people are telling themselves about why you've got the camera off, i.e. disengaged, doesn't care, doesn't have anything to say, doesn't have any value to add, then it behooves you to either signpost why it's off, turn it on because that's, you know, it's sending the right message or not be in the meeting. (laughs) That's also an option, right? Um, But, yeah, because people will make up their own story and if you want to control the narrative of your professional brand, that is something to be considered. And I think we don't think about that enough. Yeah, and what that's bringing up for me also is that we still need to be really honest because mm-hmm. I, think, I think we can get into a trap of, you know, wanting to protect our brand mm-hmm. and then it can trap you into hiding so maybe there's maybe it's not telling the whole meeting this is what's going on. Like I'm just feeling awful right now and I'm in my pajamas. Um, but just to to message you and say, hey Annalie, I'm just really not feeling great. So I'm not putting my camera on. You know, maybe you can make some comment on my behalf. You know, like maybe you'd just say, you know, oh, Carrie's not able to be with us fully or whatever. But just yeah, maybe this just finding some supporters that you can be honest with maybe you can't share with the whole room what's going on 
Um, mm. But again, it comes back to that honesty with self, I think, and, and finding your safe people. I think we need that because otherwise we can get into this situation where we start making assumptions about, you know, everybody else and, you know, well, they don't really care anyway. They don't care if I'm not on camera. They just want me to be on camera because it's fair because they are, you know, there's just all the stories from, uh, from all the directions. Um, but you also reminded me of um, someone I spent some time with in the pandemic last year uh, in, in the lockdown that everybody was locked down, regional New South Wales, everybody. And, um, and he's working from home in a new job and I went to stay when I could when we opened up and he was house sitting sorry he was dog sitting and so these serious meetings that they're having um he's like you know oh I've got the puppies again this week if anyone wants to see them and people are like absolutely (laughs) (laughs) puppies on screen you know so it's like let's just take a moment to like show the dogs you know show the cat whatever it is that you've got going on and um, because I think sometimes people just want to hide you know you put up the fake background you hope that they can't see you know the movement behind from your family or whatever but yeah just keeping it real is refreshing it's liberating on top of that the idea of keeping it real as in honoring your emotional state or your engagement levels or you know your cognitive capacity in that moment to say something you know sensible um I also think there is a responsibility on people running meetings nowadays here we go you ready for it here's my rant Kerry comes a rant it is it um people who are running meetings are responsible for creating engagement. I can't tell you how many times I get leaders come to me and say, you know, running meetings and I'm asking for engagement, you know, I'm asking for ideas and I get nothing. I'm like, mm, okay, cool. Part of what's going on, my first question is, you know, what are you doing? What are you asking? How are you creating space? Are you speaking into the space, i.e., are you taking up the space? Any ideas? Any ideas? No? Okay, what about this idea? I've been thinking about this idea. Well, you've trained people, you're not actually asking for ideas. So, yeah. When it comes to online conversations and meetings, are we actually designing for engagement? Because an online conversation is a different beast. And I would argue the pandemic kind of, uh, didn't kind of, the pandemic amplified our skill sets and lack of skill sets. And being in the communication connection game, I can tell you the people that struggled with communication pre-pandemic really struggled online. Yeah. So, you know, if you could kind of get away with boring meetings, you, could, you know, there's food in the room and there's chit beforehand, chit chat beforehand, chit chat afterwards, you know, there's all side comments, you know, that sort of stuff. You can kind of get away with it. But online, when you're competing with people's phones and their emails and their dogs and kids and everything else going on, you cannot get away with it. Mm. So I would, you know, really implore people to think about, what are we doing when we're hosting these conversations? Are we making it worthwhile for people to turn their camera on and be involved? Yes. And I feel like this, this is like leading to a good conversation on LinkedIn, like maybe a, um, not a poll, but just a question, like what's working? Because I think we can learn from people who are doing it well. So my son is now in a different area and he is loving it. He's in a great culture. And people in other areas are going, 
what is going on in your team? Like I want to be in that team <laughs> because of the engagement, because of the connection and the communication and the, um, the cohesion of the team. People want that. And so I think in order to develop that, rather than just going like, oh, my gosh, we're not doing very well, but ask people, what is working? What is it that you're doing? And it's often lots of little things, isn't it? Tiny things can make the biggest difference. So just having conversations, whether it's putting it out on, on LinkedIn, uh, putting it out to other teams that you feel are doing really well, asking them, you know, what is it that you're doing? Like, you know, who's the coach you're working with? Um, what's going on for you guys that's working? Because we want to connect more. And um, just having a conversation about how we can connect more effectively, more authentically, can just open up a whole world of those possibilities. So you've just brought something to mind that I do not see enough of. And that's sort of a good thing because it keeps me in business, <laughs> let's be honest. And this is how people uh, how people develop their communication skills within a team, right? So how do we run meetings in this group? How do we uh, converse and contract with one another when we're working together? And, you know, often people think it's about how, what we're speaking about, you know, are we talking about the right topics? Is the agenda reflective of what our priorities are, et cetera. And rarely do people stop and reflect on the process. It's not just the content, it's the process. And I never see people put anything in their agenda around the process. How did that conversation go? Did we get off track? Were we able to politely and professionally call it when people went off track and, and bring mm. the conversation back? Um, were we vigilant to how much airtime we took up? And so if we're not reflecting on the process, you're actually not getting better. So it doesn't matter what you're talking about if you're not talking about how you're talking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that true behaviour change or learning happens not just in taking action but in the reflection of the action that you took. So this whole 10,000 hours rule, you know, if you do this 10,000 hours, you're going to be an expert. Not if you've done it incorrectly for 10,000 hours. If you <laughs> haven't reflected, you think about it, right? You can teach me piano and I could be a crap pianist and do 10,000 hours of that and be really very good, very bad at it. So if I'm not reviewing and reflecting, I'm not getting the proper learning and I'm not able to change. So what I'm hearing now from my clients is conversations around, and I'm sure you would have heard this, how many days do we go back in the office, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're moving to the hybrid model. We're trying to get people back in the office. Some people are mandating, some people are co-creating. And my stance is, have you asked the team? Have you asked what works? Why would they come in? What would be worth coming in for? Let's create this together. Again, it's, it's as you said, it's asking the people who, who's, who are most affected by it. Mm, absolutely. This is gold. <laughs> um, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. I'm loving this conversation. But I think we've got lots to reflect on. And, you know, there's links that you want to share that we can we can put in the, the show notes. But I've just got a couple of quick questions I'd love to ask. Um, so we know that you've had a wonderful time in Bali, which by the time we get to share this, um, I don't know what the news will be about Bali. But um, before the... Um, you know, airports had to like suddenly start taking more care. Um, so you've had a wonderful holiday and I'm wondering what are you looking forward to most 
in the rest of this year, work or personal? Just what are you looking forward to? Very, very clear answer for you, Kerry. I'm looking forward to finishing my book. <laughs> it is, there is no doubt that is personal and professional because this is a book that I have been writing for a number of years. And I've noticed this seems to be a pattern for me. I, I, I tend to sort of, you know, I used to think, oh, you're such a procrastinator. Come on, girl, you know, push, push, push. And now I realize actually this is my creative process. You know, I push at the beginning and I start and I structure and I get everything the way I want it in terms of my thinking and how I want to deliver this work. And then I let it sit and I let it breathe and I come back to it and I gather stories as I go and I refine ideas. And it just, I think if I had have pushed out that book, you know, three years ago, it would have been a crap book and <laughs> now or rushed, you know, yeah. surface ideas and and now it's really quite deep. And, and so this, this book is The Gender Penalty, Turning Obstacles into Opportunities for Women at Work. Mm. And I'm gathering, um, you know, all my research and information and ideas around how to navigate a male-dominated leadership landscape as a woman in the workforce. And it's this whole idea of, you know, where we're finding ourselves in two camps. This is what I've noticed, right? So it used to be the women change your behavior. You know, you need to speak up more. You need to do this, be more confident, act like a man, yada, yada. And that worked to an extent. <laughs> and it was also frustrating because I can tell you right now, no woman wants to have to be a man in order to be heard and, to, you know, to be successful. And so now we have the rise of the second camp, which is stop fixing women and fix the system, right? Fix the bias that we've inherited that forces women to feel like they need to change themselves in order to be seen and heard and valued. And I think we need both to say you can't, don't, don't fix the women, don't make them do anything different. We just need to fix the system is too naive and too slow. We've been trying to fix this damn system for 150 years and nothing's changing. So it is slow. We are getting there, but it doesn't help the woman in the meeting who gets talked over, interrupted and ignored. It doesn't help her to sit there and go, no, 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 just wait for the system to change. Wait for your leaders and managers to notice you and become inclusive leaders. Well, sometimes it's not going to happen in your lifetime. <laughs> so, yes, we want to. And what I, I talk about is this idea of um, work is a game. You know, men play it like a game. They're competitive. Women play it like they're in the classroom. It's all about community. So we need to know that work is a game. And people are winning who know the rules. And so we have to say, how do we both advance the game, i.e., yes, we need to fix the system, but also know when to adapt our play in the moment. We're on the field. We're in that meeting. We're not being heard. We're being talked over. What are the strategies we can use in that moment to navigate this, you know, gendered leadership landscape? So that's my offering with this book is how do we do the both? I go through the five gender penalties. Um, and how to adapt the play and advance the game at the same time. And it's almost done. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> or by the time you hear this podcast, it's done. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. And, you know, that could be like a whole conversation. Um, but thank you for sharing that. That is exciting. There is nothing like getting a book out. But 
that brewing, percolating, pondering time is so valuable. Yeah, so uh, so two more questions. Um, I'm going to give you the last one first so you've got a bit of time to think about it um, because people sometimes go, oh. Um, okay, so maybe if you can just reflect on a moment where you've experienced the kindness of strangers um, and if you want to tell us one of your favourite books. Okay, so one of my favourite books that is really hard. That is literally like saying, which is your favorite child? And, you know, I have 14. I don't, but if I did, I wouldn't be telling you my favorite because that's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. And with, with, um, with books, I am an avid reader. So I've got a bunch on the go at any one time, physical books, Kindle books, and audible books. That's yep. correct. I take all the senses when I'm reading my books. Um, a couple of key ones that I really come back to is um, Dare to Lead, Brené Brown. I think that's brilliant. Yes, of course, I'm a massive fangirl of Brené Brown. And what I like most about this book in particular is that it is a beautiful way to humanise the leadership landscape. Yeah. And, you know, in my bios, I often talk about, you know, Annalise on a mission to humanise the leadership landscape. And I read her book and I go, there it is, work done. <laughs> <laughs> my job is done. Uh, just read the book implement action and and show up wholeheartedly soft front strong back and you know with full vulnerability and your human sensibilities and let's just be real with one another so if I were to choose any book I would go with that one given the conversations we're having nice kindness of strangers yes I've got one yes I've got one so Kerry I would have to say I encounter the kindness of strangers a lot and make of that what you will. But I, as you ask me that question, I'm thinking, hmm, hmm, hmm. Actually, this happens to me all the time. And just recently, I was flying from Sydney to Melbourne. I was on a, I was at the airport at two o'clock. I had a 3.30 flight. It just got bumped to 7.30 p.m. Then it got bumped to eight. Then it got bumped to 8.30. So you can imagine I was not in a, I was not in a festive state thinking I'm going to spend eight hours in this airport. And I'd flown to Sydney for a one-hour gig. So I'm like, mm, man, <laughs> this yeah. is a lot. So I went, all right, change my state. How am I going to make this useful? I'm going to finish my book. Yay. So I sat in a cafe for six hours. It was brilliant. But I believe because I changed my state and went, okay, how can I make this useful? You know, I shed off all that drama of, <laughs> which I had for all of 30 seconds. And I walked down, of course, I had to change terminals. So I walk out to the terminal and I ask this van driver, excuse me, kind sir, um, can you tell me where terminal blah, blah is? And he says, oh, that's the Qantas terminal. It's over the other side of the airport. You know, like it's, a, you know, one of those big, long walks. It's a hike. Through the yeah, it's a hike, right? If you know it, it's a hike and he showed me how to do it. And then he said, actually, you know what? I'm going around there right now. Hop in and I'll take you. Oh, bless. Like, oh, you're amazing. That's so wonderful. And he literally dropped me door to door. Kindness of strangers. Didn't know me from a bar of soap. And I was forever grateful. And I had lots of bags. And it was just wonderful. And I was super happy. Thank you, Kansu. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I know, I know what that we used to have to trudge from one to the other all the time for double flight, double to Sydney flights, and then crossover mm. to Qantas. But now it's all connected, which is lovely. Um, but for me, anyway, for my flights. So um, I love that pretty much any time you go to the airport, you will encounter the kindness of strangers. Yes. I mean, you could also encounter frustrated travellers, but 
what if frustrated travelers took those few seconds to just go, how can I make the most of the situation? And maybe to um, refocus on the staff that have to break the news to people all day that things are not going well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to extend some compassion and empathy to them too. Yeah, I feel like there's just so many ripple effects of kindness that I see as yeah. I travel. And I love that. Uh, I've, I've missed that a bit in the last couple of years. Thank but uh, thank you so much. Is there something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, when we came back from Bali, my husband had a surfboard. He's an avid surfer and it got waylaid. So all our bags came, not a problem, but the surfboards, <laughs> we had to wait for the oversized luggage for quite a while. And, um, you know, and I'd said to my husband and, and whole family before we went, now we know, we've seen the news, we know there's chaos, anything could happen. We may never get to Bali. We may not even get our bags. Who knows what's going to happen? But regardless of what's going to happen, we're just going to be grateful, grateful that we get to leave the country, we get to go to a hot climate, even if we get to be there for five days instead of 12, I don't care, we're just going to be grateful, right? And um, so we're there and his bag hasn't arrived and it's taken a while, taken a while. And he's watching this baggage handler. He's the person in charge and he's on the walkie-talkie and he's having all these conversations and he looks really stressed. My husband just walks over to him, pats him on the back and he says, you are doing a great job. We can see how hard you're working. This can't be easy. You know, we've been waiting for a while. We can see other people are waiting and we can see you are working so hard. We just want to say thank you. You're doing a great job. And this guy, you know, he almost welled up, these tears in his eyes and he was so great. He just looked like he wanted to fall to his knees and say, thank you so much. You have no idea how hard this is right now. And he went above and beyond to try and find the baggage because, you know, somebody actually appreciated him. Yeah, that genuine acknowledgement, that just gives me goosebumps. That's so beautiful. Can you just give your husband a hug for me? Thank you so much for sharing this time with us today, Annalie. And, um, yeah, look forward to sharing your links and connecting you with more people on LinkedIn and everywhere that we share this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. It has been a delight and I'm so happy to talk to someone who was a stranger but is now a friend <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah like I said you are a twin there's so many things that you said I'm like yep yep I get it I'm just like you saw me I'm just like standing here nodding <laughs> thank you and um our dear listeners thank you for listening thank you for sharing this with us and I hope this has sparked some ideas some conversations perhaps for you to have with other people and of course you're welcome to connect with us as well and share any you know thoughts questions ideas just go for it. Go connect with confidence and authenticity. Bye.